To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Wellington Mornings Podcast with Nick Mills from Newstalk ZB. Direct from Newstalk ZB's team at Parliament, the Beehive Buzz. Beehive Buzz. Beehive Buzz, we do every Thursday. News Talk ZB Chief Political Reporter Aaron Darman joins us. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Nick. How are you going? Doing really well. Big day today. Uh, so the Independent Police Conduct Authority has released its review into last year's 23-day anti-COVID-19 vaccine mandate occupancy of the Parliament grounds. What did you make out of the recommendations? Yeah, look, really significant report back today, obviously. We all know what happened a year ago, but when you put what happened and indeed the police response next to what should have happened or perhaps whether or not police and officers were kept as safe as possible next to each other, then you start to get a bit of a picture of just how that played out uh, in line with, I guess, police regulations, in line with what we'd expect. Uh, in terms of safety for officers uh, in the force on the front line. Now, this review basically found that overall police did serve, quote, the New Zealand public well in dealing with what was a complex set of events. But, and here's the thing, the authority did find there were some issues with the response. So some police weren't sufficiently considering the risks posed by the event ahead of it. It also shows that while the final police operation was conducted professionally, there were some problems. So we're talking a lack of hard body armour, newly recruited officers not having been adequately prepared for a role in the operation. Bearing in mind, of course, that this was a very fast-moving operation. Well, at some point it was very slow-moving in terms of actually getting the protesters off Parliament's lawn. But overall, it happened so quickly that suddenly they were set up there, there were tents up, and suddenly there was an occupation, and some people even had a garden on the lawn. Uh, and it felt like a little town had set up in Wellington. And, and so police, of course, needed to get the staff down here. Some of those were newly recruited officers, which, of course, didn't have the training that was necessary. So more than 1,900 complaints were received. 1,300 hours of video were reviewed by staff. And uh, another two key points here, Nick, evidence collection was found not to be adequate. So that led to many of the protesters who were thought to be criminally liable, having their charges dropped. And that's significant because on top of that, some New Zealand laws governing arrests and trespass, quote, aren't fit for purpose when policing these mass public disorder events. We may see the government move on this. And they need to move on that quickly, don't they? A couple of things that, that, uh, that I'd like to ask you about. The intelligence part, I always felt that that was going to come back badly in this report. I always felt that they mustn't have known what was about to happen, how long it was going to happen for, and the numbers. They knew all that. Surely they'd be a bit more grunty with this report on that. Well, look, when it comes to intelligence, the report came back and said police intelligence staff provided very good information about the developing protest environment. But when we look at the initial actions of the police, it does note police failed to properly consider some of the available intelligence. So in light of that intelligence, they should have consulted uh, Wellington City Council well before the arrival of the convoy about whether perhaps, let's say, a traffic management plan needed to be put in place. So this is a case of looking at 
what happened before, what happened during, and what has happened since to decide how exactly do we ensure that something like this doesn't happen again. And that includes where the flow of information goes and where the intelligence goes and who's in the loop on that. Did you think that this report was going to be a hell of a lot more grunty? Well, I, w- I was a bit unsure about where, where it would land because, of course, you've got to say, overall, the police did effectively, in the end, move the protesters uh, off Parliament lawn and it needed to happen in some way, shape or form. Of course, the questions are about the decision-making process that actually led to that final uh, dreadful day where we saw a fire on Parliament's lawn, where we saw the aggressor, ag- aggression, the violence happening all around the beehive, that should never have happened. This report perhaps doesn't go as far as some might have expected in terms of addressing that, but it also, and rightly so, I think, notes that overall the police response worked, it was effective in the end, uh, and it did get the job done. Whether or not it could have been done better, I think there are still questions around that. This is Newstalk ZB, breaking news. In breaking news, the consumer's price index increased 6.7% in the 12 months to March 2023, according to figures just released by Stats New Zealand. That's down from 7.2% in the year to December, and it's below most predictions. Good news. Aaron, is this what you were expecting? Well, look, I've just got kind of goosebumps up the back of my up the back of my head as you say that because it's better news than what we expected. I mean, most bank economists were thinking figures uh, would show consumer prices rose between six point nine percent and seven point two percent in the year to March. To see it six point seven percent is good news indeed. But of course, the caveat here is that it shows pain is still being keenly felt. I mean, we've all seen the impact in our day to day lives. This type of number still does confirm that. It shows people aren't going crazy looking at their bills. I mean, the facts do speak for themselves, and the hope is that this is now slowly the road back from those inflationary pressures. And, you know, we're seeing food prices rise at their fastest annual rate in more than 30 years. Many are struggling to afford the basics. So what is... is this is, this is some light at the end of the tunnel, but we're by no means there yet. Okay, what does this actually mean to someone driving their car right now in the suburbs of Wellington? Well, what it means is that when you go to the supermarket, uh, and of course these are backward-looking figures, but when you go to the supermarket, uh, last year, 7.2%, that was the increase on, let's say, let's say your, your basics. And I haven't looked into the specific figures, they've just come to hand. But for example, let's say tomatoes. And, and 7.2% was the increase that we saw on, let's say, tomatoes or cucumbers or, or fresh fruit and veg. Now we're seeing an increase of 6.7%. That is better news. That means that at the supermarket, prices have been slightly going down. What we now need to see is it dropping off far more uh, so that it gets to a sustainable level. I've got to tell you, Aaron, doesn't feel like that to me. Oh, it doesn't feel like that to me either. But of course, bearing in mind that normally, you know, in, a, in, a, in a, I guess a, a, a normal functioning economy, we, we, we're used to sitting around 2 3% inflation, not all the way up at 67 or, or 7.2. I think when it comes to those point differences, we, and indeed listeners, won't be seeing a, an enormous impact at the checkout. Hopefully, though, it's the start of something better for us. Thank you. Thank you for the good news. Nationals Tairi candidate Stephen Jack has just resigned. It comes after a sexist joke surfaced in a video on Jack's Facebook page. It was found by the media. Okay, Aaron, walk us through this. Isn't this the second time he slipped up? 
Yeah, look, this is tasteless and abhorrent stuff from a candidate that has demonstrated, in my mind, behaviour not at all becoming of an MP. He's rightly now gone as a candidate for the National Party in Taiti. First, of course, like you say, that sexist joke. I won't repeat it here because I don't think it serves anyone to do that, but it involves comparing COVID to women. And while National Leader Chris Luxon called it crass at the time, Jack did stay on as a candidate. But then last night, and of course, usually with these things where there's smoke, there's fire, another post emerged, this time reposting a poem comparing Jacinda Ardern to Adolf Hitler. Look, it's just not on. I mean, for a national party that's been battling over the years with getting candidate selections anywhere close to right, this is another example of missing the mark. And not just that, but by allowing such a figure to rise into a position of responsibility and, of course, as a candidate in election year to arrive at the doorstep of power, this is a person who is was in the race to become an MP. National enables this type of rhetoric. If it wants to be taken seriously, if it wants candidates to be taken seriously, Nick, this type of absolute rubbish needs to stop. OK, Aaron, tell me this. Why do National have real issues with selecting candidates? I mean, come on. It's a good question, and it's one that many of us have been trying to get to the bottom of, not least the National Party itself. I mean, I remember, you know, over my years here, we've seen Jake Bizant, who was sort of impersonating and sending random um, sex and texts, and it was all sort of an odd scandal. And then you had Andrew Falloon, who was sending messages to, 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 to people in his electorate that were very much inappropriate. And you, it, it just speaks of a culture that you imagine does not serve what I think Chris Markson and the National Party are trying to stand for. They've been trying to reform the candidate selection process. They've been trying to move beyond that. And I mean, just last year, Luxon says, look, the party has made some progress. Saying We haven't got it all right. It's not a perfect process, but we're dealing with people and people are grossly imperfect. Quote, we've made some improvements and we need to make some more. But when you look at this type of candidate selection, when you look at, for example, Mangwakiki candidate Greg Fleming, who's previously compared to same-sex civil unions to incest and polygamy, uh, you just start to think, well, who are these people that the National Party is attracting? And is this indeed the type of people that Chris Luxon wants in his potential caucus? Or we want as potential government. Correct. Correct. These are people that very viably... I mean, let, let's, put it, let's put it quite bluntly. Stephen Jack runs as a candidate for the National Party. National Party, hypothetically, gets into power. Stephen Jack is in that caucus. Chris Luxon needs to put together a cabinet or indeed, uh, uh, you know, oh, ministers outside a cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, this is, but this is the reality, Nick. This is yeah. the reality, is that that is, yeah. the, that is how this works. And so he is absolutely rightly gone as a candidate because you, you just don't want him around the place. Thank you, Aaron. That's a, yeah, you're right. Aaron Darman, the News Talk ZB chief political reporter. For more from Wellington Mornings with Nick Mills, listen live to News Talk ZB Wellington from 9am weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.